Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. For all the love I've ever found Comes like a flood Comes flowing down In this Resurrection Sunday episode, Neil Griffiths and Tim Peters explore the miracle that sets us free. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. So leading up to this statement by Peter is the story where he was instructed by God to see a Roman soldier called Cornelius. And Peter didn't want to go. It meant that he was going to break the Jewish rules around what was clean and what was unclean. So God had to reinforce the message to Peter by showing him the vision three more times. And then after that, having the Holy Spirit assure him that all would be well. Poor old Peter. Another time when God shows him three more times what he needs to do. One of the reasons I love this story in Acts about Peter and Cornelius is that, so I'm told, when I was baptised as a baby back in 1959, the old school priest decided that Cornelius was the right and proper name for Neil. So I was baptised Cornelius. (laughs) So Peter now understands that the miracle of the crucifixion was for everyone, not just God's chosen people. But before he could get there, the stronghold of the old laws, the old rules that he lived by had to be broken down so that he could see the supreme nature of what Jesus had done. So we know that Jesus died for everyone. But unpacking this, I started to think, well, is there some similarity that we could dig into in our own lives that might reflect what Peter was going through when he was asked to do something that he didn't want to do? And so I thought of the times in men's group where we grappled with this paradox of truly evil people being converted. And I thought this seemed analogous to what Peter was going through. Did Jesus really die for those types of people? Did he just die for the good people? Or did he die for the slightly bad people? Or did he die for everyone, including the really despicable people? So how could someone that sinful be forgiven? So name any criminal or any tyrant that you can think of and Jesus died for them. Their sins are erased by repentance and faith. Just like ours. God is that forgiving. Surely much more than 
a human could muster. God's forgiveness goes beyond that. But you know, if you dig into it and have a bit of a look around and explore that, there are people out there who are just doing amazing things. A lot of them with the Spirit of God in them. There are stories of people who unimaginably forgive people who have hurt them in their lives. There are stories of parents who forgive people who have caused the death of their children. And at times, these people not only forgive them, but they love them. And then at times they go even further. They not only love them, but they then help them to love themselves. These broken people being helped by the people they hurt, that they broke, and that those people are helping them to find redemption. So remarkable how far we can go when we understand God's forgiveness and try and apply it in our lives. So I think this topic then meshes a little bit with what happened with Paul in the reading from Colossians. is where Paul exhorts us to think of the things of heaven and not of the things of earth. So I'm sure we all know about focusing on the things of earth and what that can bring. You know, it's not all bad, but certainly there are at times poor outcomes for that. So reflecting on this personally, I was going, well, what are the things of heaven? How could I bring some of that into my life? What does it mean to me? And I thought, well, then reflecting on those things of heaven might allow me to take a different course to the one that my quick acting emotional instincts often prompt me to take. So I'm sure we've all experienced it. You know, something is affecting me and my initial response is one where I shoot first and ask questions later. And if we think of those things of heaven, then perhaps we can have a more measured response where our emotions don't rule us, the things of the earth don't rule us, and our thoughts of the things of heaven can take over. So the challenge is to love our neighbours as ourselves. And the more influence that the things of heaven have in our thoughts, the less likely we will be finding ourselves regretting our responses later on. So when we look to the things of heaven, we can find the strength to break down the strongholds. So just like Peter broke down his strongholds, we can break down the strongholds that control our earthly responses and our earthly emotions. So that's the miracle of Easter. Jesus came so the unforgivable could be forgiven. Jesus came so the people who we might think should die can live. I'm going to hand over to Tim now. Neil's shared about the first two readings we heard today. And I'm going to share a little bit about the gospel, or the gospels we heard today. But I don't know about you, I find Easter weekend, it's an amazing weekend. But it's also disorientating. It's disorientating for a number of reasons. The team sort of puts a lot of work into this weekend, and we do 
different parts of drama and music, and it's all fantastic. But it's a short week, like it's a short work week, so you only get Monday to Thursday, which always throws me. And then a lot of us come to church on Good Friday. And then you get to Friday afternoon and Saturday, and then it's, oh, we're going to church again on Sunday. So it's disorientating. And yet it's an amazing weekend. And when we sort of look at the gospel story, when we look at what the readings we have on Good Friday and the readings we have today, disorientation is part of the story. Disorientation is part of what the disciples were experiencing. And disorientation is probably too light a word for that. They thought they had found the Messiah. They thought that they had found the one who had the words of life, the truth, the person that they had been expecting, the person that had been prophesied about in their scriptures. We have the events of Holy Week. We have Palm Sunday and Jesus entering in this sense of glory, being praised. Hosanna to the King. But the end of the week, he's hung on a cross and dies. Chantel mentioned this in the kids' item, and I've sort of stolen a little bit of it for part of this, but there's this strange sense. What were the disciples experiencing? This person who was supposed to be the saviour is now dead. We live on the other side. We know on Sunday morning, on Easter morning, that he rose again. As we say in our liturgy, Christ is risen. But the disciples didn't know that. And as Shandell said, why couldn't Jesus just have been raised immediately? Why was he there in the tomb on Friday night and on Saturday? And part of it is it was in accordance with the Jewish religious rules. And a number of things that we understand of what happened on Good Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday was around the Jewish festival of Passover. So the high priests went to Pilate and say, we don't want those crucified people still being alive and still being on the cross over the Sabbath. And so Pilate orders the soldiers to go and break the legs of those that were being crucified in order to hasten their death and get to Jesus and discover he's already dead. The soldier puts the spear in his side and blood and water come out. And Jesus is dead. But the reason for that is because they didn't want the bodies to be still hung on the cross across the Sabbath. And the body is taken down and they can't do all the burial process because Jesus dies at about three o'clock on Friday and the Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday and it's the Sabbath of the Passover. It's an important one. It's the day of preparation. And so they take him to this tomb, this empty tomb that hasn't been used and they put him there wrapped in a cloth, not fully buried, not gone through all the processes. And he's left there. And then they go, and it's the day of rest, and they don't do anything on the Sabbath. And then we get to Sunday morning. And what have the disciples been thinking across this period of time? They've had 36 hours. They've had this sense of loss, this sense of grief. They've had this sense of disorientation, of what on earth is going on? And I'm pretty sure they were praying, like, God, what on earth is going on? Have we completely missed it? Have we completely misunderstood? Where are you? They don't understand. And we've heard two accounts of Resurrection Sunday. 
this morning. At the very beginning of our service, we had the account from Matthew. And then in our gospel, we had the account from John. And they're both telling the same story, but they do it slightly differently. In Matthew's gospel, the main actors in the story are Mary Magdalene and the women who, as we heard on Friday, had gone and seen the tomb that Jesus was laid in. But there's also, and we didn't hear it this morning, we heard part of it on Friday, there's also the guards that have been sent. Because the high priests are worried that the disciples are going to come and steal Jesus' body. And so Pilate sent guards to guard the tomb. And in Matthew's account, we hear a great earthquake For the angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. The guards shook with fear, which is probably a reasonable response to an angel coming down in an earthquake, and fell into a dead faint. The guards fainted. And then the angel speaks to the women. And the angel says what all angels say when they rock up. Don't be afraid. Which gives you a sense of what the angels are like. They're not these timid meek creatures. And he says to them, don't be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. The one you are looking for, he is not here, he is risen. But come and see the place where he laid. The symbols of Christianity, the symbols of our religion, the symbols of our belief are really enigmatic symbols. And if you sort of think about Christianity, what's the symbol you associate with Christianity? It's the cross. And at one level, that makes sense. It's the key component of our belief. And yet it's also really strange that the symbol is a symbol of execution. It's a symbol of crucifixion. It's a symbol of death. But the other symbol is the empty tomb. The symbol isn't the resurrected Christ. That's what we believe in. But the symbol is the empty tomb. And the angels say, he is not here, he is risen, but come and look, the tomb is empty. Come and see that he is no longer here. And then after that, the women meet Jesus, and Jesus says, go to my disciples and go to Galilee. The next part in Matthew's account, which we didn't hear this morning, is the guards who have gotten up from their faint and now discovered the very thing that they were supposed to be guarding against, Jesus' body disappearing, has happened. And they don't go back and tell Pilate, they go back and tell the high priests. And the high priests give them a bribe and say, tell everybody that the disciples came and stole the body. Tell everybody that the very thing you were supposed to be guarding against happened. And we'll deal with Pilate if Pilate discovers. John's account, which we heard as part of our gospel reading, is a little bit different. Mary is there, but so are Peter and the disciple that loved Jesus. And Mary comes early in the morning, discovers the tomb, looks in and sees it's empty, runs and tells Peter. And we have this story about Peter and the other disciple running, and apparently the other disciple is a bit of a sprinter and gets there first. And then Peter arrives, but the other disciple has got there, but hasn't gone in yet. Peter just goes straight in. And there's this interesting passage there. Then the other disciple goes in, and he saw and believed. What did he see? There was nothing to see. He saw the empty tomb. He saw that the body was no longer there. Now, when you compare all the gospel accounts, in a number of the accounts, the women, as they should, get 
good credit, right? They're the ones that actually went and found the tomb empty. They're the ones that get to have the conversation with the angel. They're the ones that first see Jesus risen. In this account, the other disciple, who tradition would say, and there's dispute about this, tradition would say it's John who's writing this gospel, says at this point in time, he saw and believed. But where's Mary Magdalene? She's still sitting outside, completely upset. Where is the body? They have taken my Lord away. I don't know where he is. I don't know where he is. And John doesn't seem to tell her. If John at that moment saw and believed, he could have at least gone and comforted Mary. But he doesn't tell her. Where have they put the body? Where have they put this man who I've cared for, who we served, and I've come to care for in death, right? They were there to finish the burial process. Where have they put him? And then she turns around and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't recognize him. And again, she's like, did you take him away? Did you take my Lord's body? Where have you put him? And she's deeply distraught. And then all of a sudden, he says, Mary. That voice that she'd heard so many times, the voice that she heard teach, said Mary. And she all of a sudden realized he was alive. He was there. He was speaking to her. And she saw, and she believed, and she understood. And Mary gets to go and tell the disciples, not Peter and John that had run to see the empty tomb. Mary gets to go and say, I have seen the risen Lord. I have seen my Lord. And this is the good news of Easter. The good news that we celebrate. It's that the Son of God became human. He was born in Bethlehem. He was anointed by God. He went around. He taught. He healed the sick. He delivered people. He was hung on a cross and died. A death that he didn't deserve. A death that we should have had that he died for us. But then he rose again. Then the tomb was empty, and then he appeared to people as the risen Lord. And this resurrection is really powerful. It's really important. Paul says in Romans verses 1 to 5, he's speaking about what the good news is, the good news that he sees himself as appointed to preach. It's that God had promised this good news through the prophets and the scriptures. The good news is about God's Son, born a man, born into King David's line, fulfilling the Scriptures, but shown to be the Son of God when he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection of Jesus is evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is our Lord. The story of Easter is that no matter how dark the day, no matter how difficult things have been, no matter how confused we might be, no matter what we've done wrong, the mistakes we have made, no matter what has happened, what we have lost, who we have hurt, who have hurt us, no matter what is going on, God is there. God is real. God is in control. And he deeply and truly loves us. 
What is the significance of Jesus' resurrection? It is the declaration and evidence that he was who he said he was, the Son of God. That he has overcome death, that he has broken shame and guilt, so that we might know life, that we might know communion, that we might know a deep and intimate friendship with God. Now there's something that we do most services, uh, but in particular on Easter Day, which is we celebrate and participate in communion. And of course, communion was instituted as part of Holy Week. It was part of the Last Supper, which we often remember on Monday, Thursday, on Thursday evening. But it's a remembrance and celebration of the significance of what Jesus did. The significance of what we do each time we have communion together is that we share in and recognize and remember Jesus' death and resurrection. And the fact that we are able to be reconciled with God, we are able to share in communion with God. The significance of sharing in communion is the memory and participation in the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made possible through Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's what we remember here on Easter. So if you'd like to bow your heads. Dear Lord, we thank you for your incredible love for us. We thank you that though it seemed like the end on Good Friday, that it was not the end that you raised Jesus, your son, from the dead to declare that he is who he said he is. He is who you said he is. We thank you for his death for our sins and his resurrection that we may participate in new life with you. And we give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.